open them with me to the book of Mark, uh, Mark's gospel, um, if you will please, uh, the sixth chapter, uh, Mark chapter six, and um, we'll begin at verse number one. We'll look at verses one and two, amen. Mark chapter six, uh, verse one and two, amen. Before we, um, before we read that, I just want to talk to you for a minute or two and kind of set up what we're going to be looking at today. Um, we actually spent a few weeks in Mark chapter 6, uh, back I guess the, the, the winter of, of this year, and um, all of this is part of a, a larger series of messages that have to do with our giving God the place that He deserves in our lives. The Lord spoke a word to my heart at the beginning of this year that His people were wanting Him to do things in their lives that they had not given Him place to do. And we've got to give Him place. Um, we looked at different verses in the Bible where the Bible, you know, the Bible says that He's able to keep that which we commit to Him. And again, there's a lot of folks who wondering why Father God's not keeping watch over certain things in, in their lives, but He can only keep watch over what we commit to Him. And as we've worked our way through these things, we, we looked at when Jesus came to His own hometown and we compared how He was received and the place He was given in His own hometown versus how He was received in the place He was given in other places in greater Galilee. So we're back at Mark 6 this morning, not because we're going to try to re-preach or re-teach um, all those messages, but we're back here because in the course of our study, the Holy Spirit has brought us to the subject of the wisdom of God. And the Bible says in all of our getting we should get wisdom. And the Bible also says that the principal thing is wisdom. Now, there are principles of wisdom, P-L-E, but the principle, P-A-L, the principal thing is wisdom. That word principle there means the one factor above all others that has the greatest impact on results or the greatest impact on how something turns out. So wisdom. And we see that there's the wisdom of this world, but then there's the wisdom that comes from God. And aren't you thankful this morning that God, our Creator Father, has made His wisdom available to you and me? Now, as we look into this subject of wisdom, we've, we've, we've learned that, that wisdom is both hidden, but at the same time, is crying aloud in the streets. Now, when we think of something hidden, we think of it maybe buried, you know, <laughs> something hidden like, you know, if you're going to hide somebody or play hide and seek when you was a kid, you know, you tried to get in, a, in an obscure place and, and you, you know, last place maybe somebody would look. That's usually where my mind goes when I think of something being hidden. But again, with God, things are obviously different. His wisdom has been hidden, not from you, but for you. 
But this wisdom that's hidden is at the same time crying aloud at every intersection of your life. The wisdom of God raising its voice in hopes that you will turn and hear and literally the Bible says have the spirit of wisdom poured out on you so that the wisdom that words the words of wisdom that God is speaking into your life they'll be made known to you now I'm not trying to confuse you this morning I, I again we understand these things by faith but how could something be hidden and crying aloud at the same time well the answer to this is it's hidden from those who don't have eyes to see wisdom is hidden from those who don't have ears to hear doesn't mean wisdom isn't crying out it's just so many people are, are blinded to wisdom and or we could say deafened to wisdom and and they're unable to hear they're unable to distinguish the voice of wisdom above all the other voices in our world today all right now with that quick review that quick recap let's go to mark chapter 6 verse number 1 and 2 it says then he went out from there and he is Jesus of course he went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him then when the Sabbath had come he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished saying where did this man get these things and what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands now we know that Jesus did a lot of teaching he perhaps did more teaching than he did anything else he was a teacher but Jesus didn't just teach in a classroom we see that in Jesus's day and time and culture teaching was done in an experiential way in other words Jesus he certainly people would gather and they would listen to him speak but the things that he taught he demonstrated things that that he would reveal um, he would then do something with to produce some result that the people could experience this is what we mean by experiential teaching if you look carefully and I guess because the discipleship classes are starting and that's really been on my heart and mind the last few weeks especially if you look at how Jesus discipled men and women unless you could reproduce the result that he produced he didn't consider you to have learned it yet it wasn't about just taking notes and being able to repeat the principle ple principle but it was about having the principal thing pal wisdom working in your life now I know I tried to give a brief review but let me just go back real quickly and remind you knowledge understanding and wisdom are related but they're not the same things and the key difference between wisdom that sets it apart from understanding and knowledge 
is that wisdom is always about producing some result. So when the people said, what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands, what we obviously, when I say it's hidden, it's not hidden. We're not stretching this to fit. Jesus, as he did everywhere he went, was not just standing there lecturing, but he was producing the results uh, of whatever it was that he was talking about. For example, Jesus didn't just teach that demons could be cast out of someone who was possessed with demons. He demonstrated that. He taught that by both what he said and what he did. Amen. Now, that phrase in verse number 2, Mark chapter 6, verse number 2, and what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? If you're not familiar with the context here, these people are more curious than they are excited. They're they're more... um, what's the right word, skeptical than they are uh, engaged and enthused. They've heard about what Jesus has done other places, but they only knew Him and gave Him the place in their hearts as being Mary and Joseph's son, the carpenter, the guy that grew up down the street, right? They're not, they haven't given Him that place of, of being the, the Son of God, the Messiah, um, yet in their hearts. As far as they're concerned, the jury is still out. They, they have this wait-and-see approach, okay? But there were some things that were common to their understanding that are expressed in their statements that may not necessarily be common to our understanding. And one of the key things that I want you to see this morning is that if Jesus is performing miracles, it's not just a display of God's power, but it's equally a display of God's wisdom. Now, again, let's settle in here for a moment. I got a lot more to say to us us today, but but we got to get a hold of this right here. We've been talking now for a few weeks about the importance of wisdom and what Father's wisdom will do in your life and how His wisdom is available to those who ask. And He'll never, uh, you know, think it's a dumb question or look down upon you for asking. The the wisdom that God used to create the universe um, is available to you and me to, to produce results in our lives. It's a really good place for you to say amen, but that's okay. I'm just going to keep plowing ahead this morning, right? It's available to you this morning. It's available to us this morning. Now, we know that Jesus went about doing good, destroying the works of the devil. We know that Jesus went about performing miracles of every kind. We know that Jesus cast out demons. We know that Jesus multiplied a little boy's lunch. And, and, and then again, just we don't know exactly where the fish and the bread came from, but from the crowd he received fish and bread on two occasions that were recorded in Scripture. Um, He multiplied food. We know that He healed people who were blind. We know that He healed people who were deaf. 
We know that He healed people who were crippled. We know that He raised the dead. We know that He um, rebuked uh, destructive weather patterns and, and storms out on the open sea that threatened um, His life and the life of those um, that were His disciples in the boat with Him. Are you with me? In, in other words, Jesus' life was a demonstration of so many different kinds of miracles. Now, maybe it's just me, but I don't think it is. I often think of those miracles as being a demonstration of or as a display of God's power. And absolutely, they are and were. But those demonstrations, those displays, those miracles, listen to me now, it was not just a demonstration of God's power. It was not just God's power on display, but it was also God's wisdom on display. It was also a demonstration of God's wisdom. Amen. Now, when it... Let me, let me just try to simplify, if I could, this morning. When we, when we talk about the power of God, you know, to simplify it, let's just say ability. Is God able to heal the sick? Is God able to raise the dead? Is God able to reverse destructive weather? Is God able to multiply a little boy's lunch? Yes, 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 and yes. God has that ability. But again... Every miracle performed by Jesus is a display of both God's power and God's wisdom. So if God's power simplified is His ability to do it, then God's wisdom simplified would be Him knowing how to do it. So when we say power and wisdom, <clears throat> excuse me, we're talking about His ability and His know-how. His ability and His know-how. He doesn't just have the ability, He also has the know-how. Now again, if, if you just take those two things, those two factors, we see that, that both are uh, very important. Have you ever had the ability to do something, but not know how to do it? I mean, the, maybe you've got the money to do it, you've got the, 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 the uh, physical strength, let's just say it that way, to do it, um, but you don't know how to do it. You, you need someone to show you how. If somebody will show you how, I'll take it from there, right? A friend of mine, some of you know Doug Ledlow, we're talking to him about some windows and replacing some single-pane windows, and, and he's like, look, he said, um, I'll come over and show you how to do one and it's, you just repeat it. You do every window in the house, right? So notice, he, he's saying you've got the ability to do this. You don't have the know-how. Um, but I'll give you the know-how and you can take your ability and your know-how and produce the result. Produce the result. I think sometimes we take the know-how for granted. In other words, obviously God knows how to do it. But here, people recognize results Miraculous results being produced by the hands of Jesus was not just the power of God, but it was also the wisdom of God. You see, you can't have results without both ability and know-how. 
Let me ask you this. Have you ever had the know-how to do something, but not the ability? It's like, man, I could fix that if I just had a screwdriver. You see what I'm saying? If, 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 I just, if I just had something small enough to fit through that hole right there, I could fix this thing that quick. I could fix this if I just had a file. If I, in other words, I know how to do it, but because I didn't have the ability, the resources that I needed to do it, I, still no result. So one without the other equals no results. But when you take the ability and the know-how and bring them together, now we've got results. Let me give you an example. Jesus, he came into uh, Simon Peter's family's home. Mother-in-law was there. Um, she was sick with a, with a terrible fever, which clearly meant she had some kind of infection somewhere in her body. The Bible didn't elaborate on all of that. But Jesus, the Bible says, reached over one, one says she touched her. Um, another account of this simply says that he spoke to the fever. I believe he did both. I believe he touched her and spoke. Amen. But obviously, you know, sometimes Jesus would heal people by speaking a word. Sometimes he would heal people by laying hands on them. Sometimes he would heal people by giving them instructions to follow. Um, I was uh, reading the other day, you know, we made some mud out of spittle and put it in the man's eyes. And so, in other words, there was different you know, methodology, if you will, that Jesus used. But sometimes we just take it for granted, you know, that just somehow it was like, and I mean no disrespect from this, like it was magic or something. It's not magic. It's not magic. The wisdom of God knows how to fix a fever in less than two seconds. Now the wisdom of man, we figured some things out about fever. We figure some things out about antibiotics. We figure some things out about, you know, if you, if you take this Z-Pack and, and uh, it, you know, what the doctor always tells you, if you get feeling better, take them all, right? You know, th that sort of thing. And, you know, a week or two, uh, that medicine will help you feel better because it attacks the source. It does something with the infection. And, and then the, once the infection is gone, the fever is gone, so forth and so on. I'm not making light of any of that. Thank God for that. It saved a lot of people's lives, right? Now, I don't understand exactly how the antibiotics work. I know that they, they you know, zero in on some kind of infection in a person's body and attack that, boost your own immune system's ability to fight it, so forth and so on. God created all of that. God created your body to fight infection. God created the, the, the blood cells in your body that go like soldiers to, to war, knowing they're going to die, amen, sacrificing themselves to try to kill the infection that, that's trying to attack your body and threaten your body before it kills you. God, the wisdom of God is on display in all of that. The point I'm trying to make is this. When Jesus spoke to that fever, touched her on the hand, whatever exactly it was that he did that day, it was both power and wisdom that healed her. It was both power and wisdom that healed her. See, this is why nothing's impossible to him or her who believes. There are all kinds of conditions, thank God, that medical science has answers and solutions for. But then there are also all kinds of medical conditions that medical science does not have an answer or a solution for. Or we could say it this way, they don't have the know-how. Are you following what I'm saying? Or there are situations, medically speaking, where they have the know-how but not the ability. 
If we could just figure out some way to get that gene to swap down to here, they don't they know how to do that, right? Trying to trying to get that perfect combination of ability and know-how working together to produce the result of health and healing in a human being's body. Thank God for that. But see, here's the thing. Father's wisdom is higher and greater than our wisdom. He has both the ability, the power, the resources, and the wisdom, the know-how to produce the results. I'm not sure if I spent too much time on that or not enough, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you're just sitting there absorbing it all and taking it all in. Because, you know, you may not have the wisdom right now, but Father does. You may not know what to do in the situation you're facing right now. He does. Nothing that He's confused about. Nothing that He doesn't have an answer for. Nothing that He doesn't know how to uh, resolve. He has the power to do it and the know-how to do it. Now, I want you to, I want to point something out to you before I'm, I'm going to single out a phrase. But if you'll pay close attention in verse number 2, we see that many hearing him were astonished saying. So there were a lot of people who were saying these next two things. And the first one was, where did this man get these things? Question mark. So they're asking. Are you following me? They're asking, where did he get these things? Where is this coming from? Where, because again, remember, they had only given him the place in their lives of, you know, neighborhood kid, Joseph's son, the guy who helped his dad fix our kitchen table. And so they're like, where is he coming up with this? Where is he getting this stuff? That might be how we say it, right? And then the next statement, and what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? I don't know how many times I read this and thought both of those statements were questions. The first one is a question, as noted by the question mark after the word things. That such mighty works are performed by his hands, there's no question mark there. There is an exclamation point. Do you see it? It's on the screen. If you don't have a Bible in your lap, it's on the screen, right? Do you see that? There is an exclamation point that, by that. What wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Now, we, we might, again, the exclamation point here is not that they're asking or questioning but that they're what? That they're exclaiming. They're proclaiming. They're saying it. Remember, they're astonished. They're astonished. Let me, let me try to give you, because you say, well, I thought if it had what in it, that meant a question. Well, it depends on the inflection of the voice. Depends on, it depends on how it's communicated, the heart that it's coming from. And clearly here, the Holy Spirit is emphasizing that these folks were not stating a question or asking a question here, but they were making a statement. So we might say it this way, wow, what wisdom. Are you following what I'm saying? We might say, man, what wisdom this guy has. My, 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 what wisdom. That's... That's the, the tone of this. It's, it's an astonished exclamation. 
in the way that people are saying. See, let me, let's just, just go right here. Words, these people were seeing results that they did not understand, especially coming from Jesus. And notice two things. They quickly associated the miraculous results with wisdom, not power, wisdom. They didn't say by what power, my what power, by what power is he doing these things. They said by what wisdom are these mighty works performed by his hands. Not what power, what wisdom are these mighty works being performed by his hands. And, and not only did they recognize the results, miraculous results being, being uh, connected with, associated with wisdom, they also recognized that, that this wisdom was given to Jesus. And that's again, for all the things that these folks were confused about and wrong about, these are two key areas that they had right. What wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? So two things, they associated the miracles with wisdom, not just power, but wisdom. And they associated the wisdom as something that did not originate with Jesus, but was a gift given to him. Now I'm going to go back to it. James 1.5 says, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and, and, and is no respecter of persons. I've been trying for weeks now to get you stirred up about that verse. I asked you last week, you know, how much interest have you shown the wisdom of God these last seven days? I'm going to ask you again today. How much interest have you shown the wisdom of God these last seven days? What kind of priority position does it have in your life? Is it somewhere near the top as the principal thing in your life deserves? Or is it an afterthought? Amen. And then last week I gave you a whole list of things, and it wasn't even an exhaustive list, a whole list of things that wisdom will produce in your life. Everything from peace of mind to a stumble-free life to wealth and riches, right? Wisdom. Those are the results wisdom will produce. Why would I do that? Why would the Holy Spirit have me do that? Because I'm trying to get you motivated to pursue wisdom, to go after wisdom, to seek wisdom. Because the attitude of our hearts towards wisdom has everything to do with whether or not we hear her voice crying aloud to us in the streets. If, if wisdom is of little importance to us, we will never hear her voice. If we have very little to no interest in the wisdom of God working in our lives, she'll be crying out at you every time you leave your house and every time you go back in your house and you'll never know she's there. You'll never hear her voice. I'm talking about the same wisdom that healed Peter's mother-in-law. Father God has it for you this morning. The same wisdom that raised Lazarus from the dead. The same wisdom that stopped violent weather trying to kill Jesus and his disciples. That wisdom, amen, the wisdom of God. You don't think if you ask God for wisdom, he's going to give you something from the world, do you? He's going to give us his wisdom. You get anything out of this this morning? Now, if, if we look at... And, 
Mark, the sixth chapter, if, if you've studied the Gospels, you know that the Mark's, the chapters in the Gospel of Mark are some of the longest of all the Gospel chapters, all right? So there's a lot happening in, in this sixth chapter. Um, we see Jesus was rejected at Nazareth, his own hometown. We see that he then went about the villages there in Nazareth teaching because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We then see that he sent the 12 out on the first uh, missionary journey. We then see in verse 14 the story or the account of, of John the Baptist um, being beheaded. Okay? Now, beginning at verse 30, we have recorded for us where Jesus took a little boy's lunch. Um, it was actually five loaves of bread and two fish. Five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus having compassion on the multitude. Look, look at me for a moment. Let me, let me just stop here for a second. All right. I know you all kind of have your individual reading plans and, and, and where you are. I've, I've been praying about it. The Lord's been dealing with me about it. I don't, I don't know if we'll wait to the first of the year, but I want us, to, I want us as a family of faith to, to sync up on, if it's nothing more than just like a chapter a day, um, where, where we are all kind of centrally located in the Word of God. And the Lord will show us more about that. I'll talk more about that in the days ahead for the end of the year. But, but if you... If you read the four Gospels, and I, and I would encourage you to, to read them all more than once, amen, you'll start picking up the, the personalities of, 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 of those that the Holy Spirit inspired to write. And one of the things that we see emphasized in Mark's Gospel, more so than the other Gospels, is how hard it was for Jesus to find any kind of solitude how hard it was for the disciples and Jesus to ever have a moment alone. Now, you say, well, why would Jesus want or need that? Well, first of all, Jesus, like you and me, needed to fellowship with His Heavenly Father. And, and so this is why we often see Jesus after the world that he lived in went to sleep, was when Jesus would then sneak out into a deserted place alone and, and spend the rest of the night just him and his dad together, right? Fellowshipping together. But everywhere, and, and if you read it carefully again in, in Mark's Gospel, you'll see that Jesus would try to go over to, you know, to, to some place to sit down and pour into his disciples and the next thing you know here would be crowds of hundreds and then crowds of thousands. Um, I've often, you know, and I've heard a lot of different reasons, for instance, why Jesus got in Peter's boat and pushed out into the water. And I, I thought one of the most clever ideas I've ever heard was that, you know, your voice carries on the water and Jesus was using the, the, the surface of the water to amplify his voice. Well, I'm not saying that's wrong, but Mark tells us exactly what was going on. The people were thronging him that they were about to crush him, literally crush him. And so Jesus got 
in a boat and got out. I believe he wasn't just in the shallows, Matt. I believe he was, I believe he was out over people's heads so that they literally, you know, I, in other words, we get to heaven if I'm wrong, I'll apologize to you. I don't think I am. If you could see what was going on that day, the people weren't like if this was the edge of the water and then, the, and then that's, you know, Sea of Galilee. They, they weren't just like right here by it. Man, they were waded out in there. They were trying to get as close to him as they could. Um, they were trying to, uh, you know, it, it was, you know, 20, I heard uh, Bill Johnson say it this way, all right? You know, obviously, Father's desire is for us to do the works of Jesus, lay hands on the sick, the sick recover. He said, just for a moment, imagine that you had a gift from God, gifts of healing, a gift of healing, that every person you laid hands on with cancer was healed. Man, you know, you think, wow, that, that'd be pretty cool. Do you realize, like, if Michael Wilson had that gift this morning, you, you couldn't even get out on Brook Lane to go home? Are, are you following what I'm saying? In other words, if, are, you, are you following what I'm saying? I'm, I'm just trying to put this in a context here. Jesus was healing folks, you know, everywhere he went, his compassion. And this was in a day before any kind of modern medicine or anything like that. And so, literally, everywhere Jesus went, crowds just thronging him, literally about to crush him. You know, just people pressing in to get to him. Well, this is, this is you know, what happened. Jesus went way out in the middle of nowhere to try to be alone with his disciples. Word got back to people, this is where he is. And next thing you know, folks have, you know, went way out into a deserted place. And now... They're hungry, hadn't had anything to eat. And Jesus is like, man, if these folks try to head back home, they're going to pass out and faint and die out here and all this other stuff, right? And so he says, let's feed these people. Did I spend too much time on that? I'm, not trying, I'm just trying to get you to see what's going on here. And, and even in a situation like this, you know, you would think, well, they should have left him alone. Good for them. Maybe next time they'll think twice before they go wandering out there, you know, bothering Jesus, pestering him when he's trying to, you know, just get a downtime here. You know, no, no. Like, even in this, where where this was poor planning, poor thinking um, on on their part, Jesus still viewed it as an emergency, so to speak, on his part. And he says, "We need to feed these people before they leave." And of course, the disciples were like, you know. How is the world, we, you know, we don't have enough money to do that. And even if we did, there's nowhere to buy the food. Well, you know how the story goes, right? Jesus told him to sit down. Now, in the other Gospels, it just says sit down. But in, in Mark's Gospel, we see that they sat down in groups of 100 and in groups of 50. This, this is why we knew, we know to, to this day, obviously the Holy Spirit, you know, knew before it ever happened, Right? 5,000 men plus women and children is how many people were fed that day. And then there were 12 baskets of fragments that were taken up. Right? Right? Am I right about it? That's what happened. Okay. And so then finally, after everybody was full, Jesus said, now, y'all go home. Please go home. Right? Need a break here. Right? Amen. And, uh, and, and, and they went home. Went home full and happy. Of course, John's version records it that the next morning they're looking for him for breakfast. See, now it's not just he can, he can um, heal my child who's sick. He can, he can put a seafood buffet out, you know, just 
that fast, right? And um, now, I know I'm out of time, so just real quick, I'll set up where we're going to be tonight. This all took place in Mark, the sixth chapter. Now, different things happen. End of Mark, chapter 6 is where Jesus walks on water. And then we see that there were others who touched him and were made well. Um, different things happen in chapter 7, Syrophoenician woman, Jesus um, healed a man who was deaf and mute. Now we come to Mark chapter 8. And in Mark chapter 8, guess what? It's another situation of a large crowd of people who are hungry. And Jesus tells the disciples to feed them. <laughs> and they go through the whole thing all over again. We can't feed these people. We don't have enough money to buy food for these people. All this other stuff, right? Now, why am I, I'm closing this up. Matter of fact, singers, musicians, stay right where you are. Stay right where you are, I'm sorry. They can't hear me when they get up here, so let me, stay right where you are, okay? The point that I was trying to get to this morning, we'll get there tonight. But I want to make sure you, you hear this, please. It was the wisdom of God. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me say it a different way. No human being knows how to take bread and multiply it. You follow what I'm saying? We know how to take seed and multiply seed. But, and there's a process, there's wisdom, the wisdom of God, right? The power of a seed, plant a seed, grow the wheat, harvest the wheat, grind the wheat, mix it with the ingredients, then bread. But see now, the wisdom of God can take the bread as a seed. See, that little boy, he planted bread. He gave Jesus the bread. Jesus was able to take all of that wisdom that goes into a loaf of bread and in a, you know, right there in front of them produce bread from bread. See, it's, I, don't even, I don't even know how to say it. I mean, you, you don't even know how to put it into words. He took bread and made more bread. Without an oven, without a rolling pin, Without patty and a cake, right? Patty cake, patty cake, baker's man. Bake me a cake just as fast as you can. Jesus said, we don't need an oven. We don't need an oven. Just give me the bread right now. I'll take the bread and make bread from the bread. I'll take fish and make fish from the fish. You say, well, I just don't understand how you could do that. He spoke to the waters and created the fish. I mean... What would be harder, making fish from water or making fish from fish? I mean, again, if he can make fish from water, he can make fish from fish. That's, that's a no-brainer, right? It's easy there. If you can do one, you can certainly do the other. If he can create a human body, he can fix one. See, it's the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God that created the human heart certainly can heal, can fix one. While it's still beaten, don't even have to stop it to fix it. He can fix it while it's still beaten. It's, 
this wisdom, right? This is the wisdom that he's made available to us. Singers, musicians, come on, praise God. We've got to land this plane. Amen. I get so excited about this, and, and for a lot of reasons, and, and one of the key reasons that I get so excited about this is because this, this is the difference maker in our lives, the wisdom of God. It'll make the difference in our lives that we so desperately need to see made in our lives. Now, we're going to keep reading because after he multiplies bread again, we're going to see in Mark the 8th chapter where the disciples are worried about food. <laughs> They're worried about having enough to eat. And Jesus just looks at them and he's like, what's wrong with y'all? Do you not remember when I took and fed the 5,000 and then took and fed the 4,000? And just from that experience, we took up 19 basketfuls of fragments and now you're in a boat and worried that you're going to be hungry. The reason those things are structured that way in the Gospel of Mark is that the Holy Spirit is wanting to spell it out to us in no uncertain terms. Jesus wanted us to recognize that the wisdom He used in multiplying the food was equally available to us. That because He did that, and because we have access to the wisdom of God, we should never be concerned about having enough food ourselves ever again. But here's the thing. That wisdom was right there crying out to them. They were watching it happen, but they were deaf and blind to the wisdom that was at work. Because Jesus said, can you still not see it? Can you still not hear it? Is your heart still so hard that you can't understand what it is I've been trying to show you. The wisdom of God. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Father, I thank you this morning for these, your people. Father, these are my brothers and sisters. This is my family of faith. But Father, they're your people. I didn't give birth to these people, Father. You gave birth to us. You gave birth to all of us. We've been born of your spirit. We've been born of your seed. We've been born from above. We're yours. We belong to you. We're in Christ. We've been absorbed into him. We've been folded into him. We are his body, not in theory, not uh, symbolically, but literally, Father. We are the body of Christ. We have the mind of Christ because He is our head. The body only has one head. I thank you, Father, this morning that we're receiving wisdom from our head. We're receiving the ways of God, uh, the ways of, of operating in the supernatural. We're receiving, Father, those things from the mind of Christ that we've been given now. Help us to see Help us to hear. Help us to understand. Help us to have the right attitude, Father, to receive the wisdom that you have made available to us that's not just available to us, Father, that's crying out to us. Help us see it. Help us hear it. Help us understand it. Help us receive it. Help us remember, Father. Oh, Lord, you've done so many things for us in the past, and then we come upon similar situations in the present, and we, it's like we can't even remember how you helped us in the past. Thank you, Father. 
for helping us lay hold of your wisdom, your truth, your understanding, your ways. Father, your word is very clear. We receive the Holy Spirit so that the power of God might come upon us. Father, you haven't just given us power. You've given us power and you've given us wisdom, ability and know-how. Help us to see it, Father. Help us to make it a priority. A priority pursuit in our lives. In Jesus' name.